But we're going to pick up in Mark chapter 3. We're in verse 7. So we just last week we looked at the first six verses. And there was the man with the withered hand that Jesus healed. And now right after that, uh, the, the story continues. But as I mentioned, it's kind of a transition in Jesus's ministry. And uh, you're going to see this. And I think the best thing to do is we could just read it and then let's talk about what's going on there. As I said, it's not a, not a succinct story. It's more of a transitionary time, but I think it, there's some observations we can pull out. So before I begin, I want to pray, just ask the Lord to help me help you. And of course, uh, ask him to help you as well. So let's, uh, let's pray together that, that, that this will be a useful time. Would you pray with me, please? Um, Father, I'm, I'm, I'm going to look at the scripture here and I'm going to share it with these people. And, um, I think the thought that, that you've given to me on this is helpful, but it's only helpful if your Holy Spirit is teaching the folks that are listening, if you're teaching me and we learn from it. I pray that we are hearing your voice and that we respond with obedience. Pray, I'm praying this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so let's just read the verses. I think that's probably the smartest thing. So if you don't mind, open up your copy of God's word. We're going to be in Mark chapter three, verse seven, just a few verses. We're going to read down to verse 12. And I just want you to hear what's going on. So this is after that story in verses one through six of the withered hand being healed. But in verse seven, he says, but Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea and a great multitude from Galilee followed him and from Judea. This is a pretty common theme in Jesus's ministries. Wherever he goes, there's a lot of people that follow. He's doing miracles. I mean, amazing things are happening. Uh, I have to admit, I, I would probably be one of those that would uh, would want to see what's going on. And uh, But anyhow, uh, so that's what's happening there. And then go to verse 8. It says, and from Jerusalem. So they followed him from Judea. And then verse 8, from Jerusalem, from Idudium. And from beyond Jordan, and they uh, about Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they had heard what great things he did, came unto him. So they they are just they recognize that Jesus is doing amazing things, and so they 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 are following him. And then in verse nine, and he spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude. So he's. He's got a lot of people around him. It says there, lest they should throng him. This idea that they're getting so close in. You may have been in settings like that. Uh, I remember uh, last, um, oh goodness, when was this? Uh, this would have been the fall, not this past fall, but the fall before that in 20, uh, 2021. Uh, when my son and I went over to Appalachian State to a football game. And uh, Boone's not that big of a town, but there were a ton of people. This was like one of the first games after the COVID restrictions. So they really, they let everybody in and it was just all kinds of people. We were just like crammed in there. It felt like it to me anyway, because I hadn't been in a big crowd like that in a while. And uh, just like people all around you. And you've been in those settings before. And I think that's what Jesus is saying. I don't want to be crushed by the crowd. So make sure there's a boat over there that we can kind of get away if we need to. Verse nine, uh, verse 10, go to verse 10. He says, for he had healed many. That's why there's so many people in so much that they pressed upon him for to touch him as many as had plagues. So the people just wanted to get close to Jesus. Verse 11, they had plagues and unclean spirits. So people that were, that had demon possession, they were trying to get close to him that in those unclean spirits, when they saw him, they fell down before him and cried saying, thou art the son of God and straightly charged them that they should not make him known. So, so like I said, just not like a one single story, just sort of describing what's going on between uh, the, this, this part of Jesus's ministry. 
But the thing I want to draw your attention to, and, and the title that I've given this kind of gives a little bit of this way, is the power of Jesus's presence. Let me let me let me give it to you this way. You've ever heard the phrase "You don't have to advertise a fire," and, and if you've never heard the phrase, you know that to be a true statement. If if there's a fire going on, there's smoke billowing and everything. You, nobody has to tell you about it. You could see it; it's right there. It naturally draws attention. Um, if you've ever been, I was talking about a ball game. If you've ever been to a football game or a basketball game, um, you really don't, no offense to cheerleaders, but you don't really need cheerleaders unless the game is boring. You don't need people to cheer, you know, to stir you up unless the game is boring. I, I was watching, uh, North Carolina and Duke play the other night and, um, you know, it's close all the way through it. And you're on the edge of your seat watching that. Who's going to win? Are they going to get up? What? You don't need anybody to stir you up. You don't. It's just, it's just, it's just exciting. Uh, so you don't have to whip up the crowd if the game's, if the game is tight. Another example: if you're a hunter or a fisherman, you know nobody has to work all that hard to tell you what's in season, where to, where you go to do the best hunting or the best fishing, and what equipment you need to go, go get. You're going to seek that stuff out. You're already looking for that because that's interesting to you. And I bring all those up to say, when we start thinking about things like change in our souls, in our, in our lives, revival is another kind of word that we use in the church world. When we think about that, why do we think that God needs, and this is the language in my mind, that God needs these extroverted pitch men to go running around like energizer bunnies to get things stirred up. Why do we think we need preachers? And a lot of times, and I've had this mindset, I'm a preacher, I've, I've, I've pastored and I'm pastoring now and I preach in the pulpit. And a lot of times you think, I got to pump these people up. Why do we think that way? Why do we think that if, if preachers don't pump us up, people are not going to be interested and engaged and faithful? Why do we think if we've got a lost loved one, maybe a, a son or a daughter or a brother, sister, or mother, father, somebody in our family or our friend who's not saved, why do we think they need to see, I don't know, lightning fall from the sky or fire? Or, you know, and I'm exaggerating to make the point that we think that something exciting has got to happen to get these people to, to see their need for Christ. But I want to argue from this text here, and I think you'll see this, I hope you will, that if Jesus is working, if Jesus is present, if he's in the, if he's in the room, if he's in action, you're not going to need energizer bunnies that just keep going and going and going. You don't need that. In fact, if you go to verse 7, what does Jesus do? He's withdrawing himself with his disciples. In verse 6, you've got people that are trying to kill him. You've got people who are out Literally, and they do, you know, at the end of the story, they kill him, but they're out to kill him. And what does he do? He withdraws. And this is a mark of Jesus's ministry. He goes for rest. He goes for times of prayer. And this is a regular custom for Jesus. You actually can go to chapter one in verse 35, and he's doing the same thing. Just a few verses prior to this. Um, and he is doing this on a regular basis. Even though he's withdrawing, even though he's resting, he's getting, he's taking time for devotion, taking time for prayer and for rest. You still see in verse seven, a great multitude is following him. So when Jesus is working, you don't need people to just keep going, 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 going. When Jesus is working, action's happening. Even with nothing has to happen, Jesus just needs to be present. You don't need extroverts who need the limelight. And, and I say this to my own uh, shame. I mean, I, I think 
a lot of times people like myself and I, I'm, I'm speaking of myself, I can't speak for everybody, but I know my own mindset. So I assume it's in others as well. Don't know if that's true or not, but there is a tendency because we get to stand up front and preach and everybody's listening to us. Even now I'm talking to you and you're all listening to me and I'm grateful for that. But there's this mindset that we can get like somehow, you know what? Uh, everybody's got to listen to me, you know, and I've got to be in the limelight and people have got to pay attention to me and it can feed an ego. But, but what does Jesus do in, in verse nine? He's actually, he says, Hey guys, get a small ship so I can get away. If I need to, he's saying, I'm going to be here, but, but I'm going to have a getaway ready. He, his, and if and you'll see it over and over, he's not looking for fame. Now, we know Jesus is, is, I mean, good gracious, people people use his name as a curse word. So everybody knows Jesus's name. So it's not a question of his fame. It, but if you look at his life and what he says and what he does, he's not seeking fame. That's not what he's after. He focuses on his earthly ministry. He's focused on the mission. He's focused on what he's there. And even though he's not interested in fame, even though he's not trying to get a name for himself, he's not trying to get a following, People keep coming. Verse 10, you see there, uh, in so much that they pressed upon him. There are so many people there just gathering in. Again, he doesn't need an exciting pitchman to, pitch to advertise for him. In fact, he explicitly says, talking to these demons in verse 12, he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. He actually explicitly says, don't advertise me. Now, I think there's a little more to it than just not advertising. I think he doesn't want the devil's advertisement. He's not interested in what the devil has to say about him. I think that's part of it. But still, I think there's a there's a story there that, I mean, again, I, I'm marketing is what I do for for uh, for a living. It's how I pay the bills. And and, you know, in my mind, you know, it's like you want people to talk about your thing, whatever you're selling. You want that to happen. But Jesus says, no, no, I don't need people to advertise for me. But at the end of it all, and, and we know this today, the whole world knows his name. To be fair, this is why we share the gospel. They may not know all of who he is and what he's done, but they know his name. He's famous, if you can use that term. So, so Jesus doesn't need any of that. He doesn't need, in fact, without ever being loud or boisterous or pushy or forcing, Jesus comes in and he accomplishes justice and victory and hope for everybody. In fact, there's a passage, uh, I think in Matthew chapter 12, uh, that talks about this. It's referring to a prophecy or a verse back in Isaiah 42, the first part of Isaiah 42, where he says, he's not even going to, to break a damaged twig. He's not going to even put out a dying candle. He's so gentle. He's so gentle in that way. But as gentle as Jesus is, as, as, if I can say it this way, understated as he is, he accomplishes so much. As I said, you don't have to advertise a fire. You don't have to advertise the fire that is Jesus because he is real. He is present and he's life-changing. The presence, the, the actual presence of Christ is such a reality. It doesn't need hype. Not at all. Because I want you to see there's, there's really only two points I want to make here. Uh, the first point is that you have to notice that it's his actual touch, the touch of Jesus that heals people. Uh, you can see this in verse uh, verse 10. He healed many. So they they come around and that he healed many. And because he healed many, continue reading in verse 10, they that they pressed upon him 
for to touch him as many as had plagues. There are literally people that says, I know that Jesus can heal. So they were as that one woman, and you'll come across her a little bit later in Mark, where she says, I just need to touch the hem of his garments. I need to get close to him. That there were people that knew that if they could just be touched by Jesus. And Jesus had healed so many people, even at this point in the book of Mark, he's healed Peter's mother-in-law. He's healed all those people in Capernaum. He's healed the leper, the paralyzed man, the man with the hand, just prior verses to this. This is something that Jesus is doing everywhere he's going. And people hoped that they could just touch him. In fact, they, in some cases, you kind of read, there's an urgency here that says, this is my only hope. If I if I can just touch him, everything will be better. If I can't touch him, it's I'm just gonna I'm gonna be sick for the rest of my life. And these were don't don't miss the fact that these were very real problems that really needed help. In some of these cases, again, thinking about the the stories we know up to this point, there's a man who who can't even move. He has to have his friends carry him around. Uh, Peter's mother-in-law, it, it sounded as if she was probably on death's door. Uh, the, there's a boy later on in, in Mark where uh, where his dad had said, hey, the, the demons were, were throwing his body, tearing his body apart. I mean, these are real problems that are that need real answers. And the only thing, and these people knew it, and it, so many people have been helped by it, the only thing that made the difference is touching Jesus. And, and I want to make sure that you don't miss that that's not just something that happened 2,000 years ago. Jesus is still in the healing business. I, I rem remind you of Isaiah chapter 53 in verse 5 where it says, and I believe speaking of Jesus, that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. And I want to make sure that I give that very clear application here. I believe that real healing, and I'm talking about physical healing, if you're sick or you have disease in your body, that that healing, if it's going to happen at all in this life, it is only going to be provided because the great physician touches your body. And I want to, I want to tell you that, that that is the only hope that we have. Now, don't get me wrong. We're going to go to doctors. We're going to get the blood transfusions that we're going to get the surgeries and all the things we need to get. But we know, I want you to know that I believe, and I, I want you to believe with me that the only healing that's ever going to happen is going to happen because God works through those. And it happens because of the suffering of Christ. But I also want to make sure we add very quickly because we know, and I know some of you that have listened, in fact, I see a name or two on here that you've got folks in your family, children, uh, spouses that God didn't heal that he chose not to for one reason or another. And I can't explain all of that. I'm not going to dare explain it, but I can promise you for them, as well as for yourself, that revelation is in the Bible that says he is going to one day wipe away all tears. He is going to, death is going to be abolished. There's not going to be any pain anymore. That there's going to be healing one day. And it's only possible because of what Jesus has done. So your sin it doesn't need a reformed lifestyle. Yes, I think our lives need to be better and we need to change and all that. But what our sin needs is a savior. Our sickness, yes, we need it to go away. We need, you know, some drug that maybe helps it or some procedure and those things and all that. But, but ultimately what we need, really need, is a savior. 
there's a lot of desperation and hopelessness in this world. And, and what we don't, we don't need more distraction. We need a savior that we can go to and say, honestly, we're hopeless and we're helpless and let him touch the hem of his garment so that we can get the healing that we need. Those addictions that some of us are dealing with, uh, we don't need some hyped up man, you know, hitting us on the forehead saying we're delivered from that. No, we need a savior that loves us and cares for our soul. Those broken marriages that are maybe either broken or on the verge of being broken. Yes, go away for the weekend, get the counseling you need, all those things. They're great. But the solution, the hope, the help that you need, the healing is going to come when you can touch the Savior's garment. You need a Savior that loves you. You need a Savior that cares for your soul. And if you can get as close as you can to him, reach out to him and ask him for healing. That's what he does in this passage because he is present. Again, there's not, there's no miracle cures. There's no, no, no hyped up thing. I mean, uh, you know, forgive me for naming a name, but uh, you know, like the Benny Hens of the world and those guys, I mean, it's just, it's, it's such a spectacle what they're doing. But when Jesus shows up and you just read it here, I mean, he's actually healing people. And I believe he actually healed people. There's no spectacle there. He is just loving those people, caring for those people and changing their lives. And the answer then is for us, just like they are, is get as close as we can to it. But second of all, not only, not only notice that he is healing people, but that his touch is healing people, but that his presence liberates people. He's in that verse 10, you see there he's healing many in so much as they pressed upon him for to touch him as many as had plagues. It stops there. And then the next thing it says in verse 11, and unclean spirits, there were people that had unclean spirits that when they saw him, they saw Jesus, when the unclean spirits that were the, these demonic oppression that was dominating these people's lives, when they saw that Jesus was there, look what they did. They fall down, cried, saying, thou art the son of God. He's casting out this demonic influence. This is something Jesus, I, I, preached, I preached a sermon before on some of the passages here in Mark that really talks about, I believe this is a, a theme of Jesus's ministry, that he has dominion, not just over the physical world, but over the spiritual world as well. And sometimes we get it in this modern age, we, we lose that. But there have been in this passage alone, in Mark, the first part of Mark alone, many people have been freed from the demonic influence. You go back to the man in the synagogue in chapter one, verse 23 through 25, you go to Capernaum and you'll see that there's a lot of people who have been freed from demonic oppression there. And not just in Capernaum, it says in the whole region, chapter one and verse 39. And what, what the difference maker is, is when Jesus shows up. Again, I point you to the fact that there's not some spectacle here. There's not a bunch of hoopla. Uh, there's a lot of people. And when you get a lot of people, there's probably, you know, you know, kids crying and people talking and all the things that, you know, there's a lot of people in one place. But as far as Jesus, yes, he's the center of attention in a sense, because everybody's trying to get to him. But that's what it is. Everybody's trying to get to him. That's that's where it is. It's not that he is is doing some weird thing or his disciples are doing some spectacular thing. It's literally the presence of Jesus when the demons see him, they change their course. When I, I know I'm using the word demons and demonic oppression, but please understand that I think anything that is of the devil, the world, the flesh, the devil, sin that is in our hearts, 
that's the stuff that 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 damages us that hurts us I do believe in full-on demonic oppression and demonic possession. That's something I believe does happen. And the, the Savior absolutely breaks those chains. But if you could just apply this to any kind of demonic influence of any kind of sin, when Jesus shows up, he breaks the hold. He reverses the damage. Because it says there that when they saw him, they fall down. And you know what he says in verse 12? They, he says, don't even talk about me. Leave and get, get out of here. He frees these people. He liberates them from this, this hole that Satan has on them. And just like Jesus is still in the healing business, I believe Jesus is still in the freedom business. Let, let me remind you of something Paul wrote about in Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, in verse 1, he says to the Galatian Christians, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. He says, you've been freed by Jesus. Enjoy that freedom. And be not entangled again, he says, in the yoke of bondage. He says, you've been freed from sin. You've been freed from the, from the devil's power. Don't go back to it. That's his point. And then later on in Galatians chapter 5, he says that, there's something called the works of the flesh. This is what is the, the natural working out of our flesh, what we are naturally tending towards. That if we don't have Jesus, we don't have the spirit of Christ, this is what's how our lives are marked. He, he gives a bunch of words there, and I'll just give you some of them. Unfaithfulness, lust, addiction, lies and deception, hatred and fighting jealousy, even murder and envy and anger and backbiting, drunkenness, just raucous carrying on. Those are the kinds of things. And this is in Galatians chapter five, verses 19 through 21. He says, that's the work of the flesh, that if you don't have the presence of Christ in your life, that's what your life is marked by. But when Jesus shows up, when he's present, his spirit is present, the fruit, we know it as the fruit of the Spirit. If you know this passage, you know it's the fruit of the Spirit. When Jesus shows up, the manifestation of that is a completely different, no longer is it unfaithfulness and, and, and murder and anger and backbiting and fighting and all that stuff. Instead, when Jesus is present, Galatians 5, 22 to 23, love, joy, peace, um, patience and kindness and goodness and faith and humility and self-control. This is the stuff that, that Jesus's presence does. So everywhere that Jesus shows up, this is the change that he makes. People who are controlled by, it might be for some of you, it might be that you, you just can't tell the truth. It might be some of you that are always envious of other people. It might be for others that you're just fighting and angry all the time. But Jesus, when he shows up, he breaks the curse and he replaces it with love, joy, peace, etc. When he's present, the fruit of the spirit is present. And everywhere he's going in Mark chapter one through three, and he really throughout his ministry, he's preaching. And what is Jesus preaching? He says, repent and believe in me. He, he says, follow me. He says to the devil, shut up. He says, I'm going to fix what's wrong with you. He says, I'm going to forgive you. He says, I'm all you need. He says, I'm in control. He says, 
show me where it hurts and I'm going to fix it. And by the way, everything I just said, if you read chapter one, verse one, all the way to chapter three, verse six, up to the text here, that's the stuff he says to people. And he's trying to let us know we don't need self-help. We don't need a new religion. We don't need some system. We don't need we don't need somebody to hype us up. We don't need loud music. We don't need some flashy preacher. We don't need any of those things. We need the presence of Jesus. Can we take an example or take as an example what Andrew, the one of the disciples, what Andrew does when he meets Jesus in John chapter one, he says, as soon as he meets Jesus, he says, he findeth his own brother, Simon, Simon Peter, and saith unto him, we have found the Messiah, the Christ. He goes and finds his brother first and says, you got to meet this guy. You got to meet him. That's the way we need to be. There's too many of us that are like um, Elijah over in, uh, I think it's first Kings 19, where we're looking for hope and we're looking for help. Remember Elijah, he's, he's running from that, that, uh, that queen Jezebel and, and, and he needs something and he's depressed and he's down and he's looking for help and hope. And he looks for it in the wind and he looks for it in the fire. He looks for it in the earthquake, those big, amazing, over the top, blow you away kind of experiences. But the real hope where God was, was in that still small voice. And I think we confuse human and it's human action. It's not, it's not God, it's human action, but action with power, excitement with life, fury with uh, fury and, and just, just activity with the truth and movement with healing and noise. We equate with praise when in fact, Jesus is always found in the stillness. Jesus is always found in the weakness, the mild meekness and the quietness. Let me just say this last point, and I'm closing up this, this, uh, this lesson. I have always been one, always throughout my ministry, but now more than ever, I really want to see a move of God. I, I want to see what we would call revival. I want to see that. I really do. I want to see big numbers of people get saved. I want to see some people come into our churches that hadn't been into our churches in a long time. I want to see, because on Wednesday nights, we're praying for some people uh, by name and we're asking the Lord to save them. We want to see that. But I'll promise you, if that ever happens, first of all, it'll amaze us because it'll, it'll just shock us. I don't even think we're prepared for it. But when it does, we will know it's God, not because some preacher got up and ran it and raved. Somebody screamed and hollered and slobbered or whatever else they might want to do or did some sort of sarcastic remarks, or some band got up and just like rocked the house, or whatever. I don't think that's how the Lord's going to work. But when we get close to Him and experience Him, it's going to see. We're going to see damage repaired. We're going to be see sin killed. We're going to see life given. But it's only through Jesus. Not those other things. Again, don't hear me wrong. Those other things have their place and they can be helpful in their own way. If we, I'm not trying to downplay that, but I'm definitely trying to say that ain't it. We need Jesus. We need him. It's only through him that the world's going to be transformed. It's only through him that justice is going to be found. Victory will be secured and hope is going to be enjoyed. We need to come to Jesus. We need to bring people to Jesus like Andrew did. 
And some of y'all just need to talk to him a little bit to let him know, I need your presence. That's what I've been asking for. Let me tell you, when I don't have his presence, man, all those works of the flesh, they bubble right to the top again. I need his presence. I need him with me all the time. I'm going to close that out. Next week, we're going to be in Mark chapter 3, verse 13, going to verse 19. And you're going to see the mission of King Jesus, where he calls these disciples to, to go out and do some things for him. And I think it'll be an interesting study of that. But I hope you'll join me next Tuesday, 7 o'clock. And uh, thank you so much for being on here. We'll talk to you all next week. Bye now.